Last week on Something is About to Happen. God leaves you to move in the realm of the possible. But things you cannot reach, no matter how much you and your friends' connections, network, net worth try, that is what we call impossible. God says, you move in the possible. I gave you ingenuity, the mind, the ability, talents, and gifts to move in the possible. But as it concerns the impossible, that is my realm. Psalm 126, uh, verse 1 and 2. When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like them who dream. You know, when you've been beaten by a situation, you refuse to dream because you hate disappointment. And because nothing promised you, nothing you dreamed or envisaged about has come to pass lately, you don't dream anymore. That's what poverty does to a man. That's what disappointment and deferral of hope does to a person. But look at verse 2 in Psalm 126. He said, when God turned our captivity, then was our heart filled with laughter. In other words, he was repositioning your dream faculty again. You will see future again. You will see into tomorrow. You will have bright hope going into tomorrow. Hallelujah. Why? Because God is going to turn your captivity. It's going to cause you to have laughter. The laughter is going to cause you to dream again. The fulfillment of dream is going to give you more laughter. And laughter and dream and fulfillment will become a perpetual, fortuitous cycle in somebody's life. Who is that person? If that's you, I want you to go and tell five people, watch out for me because I'm going to laugh again. My whole life is going to be filled with laughter. And that's why you need to tell somebody, don't quit now. God is still going to fill your mouth with laughter. You're still going to laugh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the efficacy of your promises built and ratified on this unequivocal transaction on Calvary's brow, the finished work of the cross where you settled it completely that everything you have promised in the covenant is ours for the taking. Now give us faith by the consistent hearing of the word of God in compliance, in harmony with the doctrine of the new covenant so that we may take what grace makes. Thank you, our daddy. We give you honor and glory. We thank you for the supply of the spirit and the great door of utterance to speak to your people as Jesus would. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Abraham, it is exciting to know that it is empowering to be a recipient of what God has decided to do. And he informs you of what he has decided by a promise, by an announcement. And when you start doubting in the process of time passing and the promise not being fulfilled, he gives you further assurance and ratifies his promise by an oath, a covenant, an agreement. But he doesn't tell you everything about the promise. Doesn't inform you about the process. Doesn't tell you when sometimes or most times. Doesn't tell you how, especially since it is impossible, you want to know the how, uh, nor does he tell you exactly how it's going to machinate. 
It just tells you to come and go with me. And I will show you a land where it's all going to happen. I'll bring you to a state or a place. That may be physical, it might not be, where it's all going to happen. And so it becomes interesting. It will get your interest to become a beneficiary of what God has decided to do in his own volition. In other words, you didn't ask for it. Or, to be more accurate, it wasn't your asking that makes him do it or promise it. Though his promise will make you ask, and your asking is evidence that he promised. So it begs a question, and there are many queries that I have for, for the text. When did God decide that he was going to bless you? I propose to you that because he is the eternal God, he never decided. He never chose you. Because God cannot decide and cannot choose. When Paul uses the term decide or other versions, or Paul uses the term chosen or other versions use the term decide, it is what we call in theology an anthropomorphism, an attempt to describe something so heavenly and beyond our understanding using metaphors that we understand. So if God is eternal, he cannot choose. It's not possible for him to choose. Much like he cannot think. Because thinking is part of a learning process. Now, you and I think, and my present thought is based on an earlier thought, premised on a, a previous thought, premised on my learning thinking processes. So if I wanted to go to the shop to buy a blue buba and shokoto, a kaftan up and down, I, I have blue in my mind, but they have a range of blues in various sizes in their rack. And when I get there, in seeing what I see there, I come to new knowledge. And based on new knowledge as to what is best suited to me, my size, my preference, my color taste, I make a choice. But I say to you that because God does not learn anything, he is the omniscient God, he always has had all knowledge from whenever he began to be, and he never begun to be, so he has always had all knowledge from eternity past. And he will always retain all knowledge in the present and all knowledge into eternity future. And therefore I put it to you that he cannot learn anything. Because he already knows everything perfectly. That means then that he did not choose. It means he has always known what he has always known. So he doesn't choose, he knows. Knows means it is certain to him. That means it cannot change. He knows it as well as I know now is now. He knows tomorrow and 5,000 years into the future perfectly as he knows the now. That means it's not a hope. It's not an aspiration. It is certain knowledge. So when he now says to you, certainly or assuredly or verily, I say unto you, go to the bank, it's settled. Now, what benefit is this to you? The benefit to you is this. Satan, your adversary, who wants to prevent you from becoming a beneficiary of God's promises because he wants to create disbelief in your heart and divide you from your God because he's angry with God. He knows you are the apple of God's eye. He wants your God to look like a complete liar to you and somebody you cannot depend on or trust in. So he can separate you from your God because in this dominion called earth, man, you are God. 
Man, you are the God of this world. That's how God designed man to be here to dominate the earth. Not other people, but to dominate the earth. And Satan wants that dominion and stole it from your first forefather, Adam. That's why God had to give you a new forefather by faith called the last man, Adam, otherwise known as Jesus, to create another species in the earth called new creation. And we are in contest with old creation. Hallelujah. So you have us on the earth wanting to establish our Father's kingdom on earth as a colony of heaven. And you have those who are under the influence of the God of this world and who walk according to the prince and the power of this year in the cause of disobedience. Hallelujah. And so Satan wants to divide us from God, but God has put a new species in that he cannot divide. But we must walk according to knowledge. So of what importance is it for us to know that God made a decision anthropomorphically that was made at a time and location in eternity past that nobody can locate except God. And so because you cannot go to the time or the eternity when he made the decision that we know he did not make but always had, it, since you can't get there, you cannot undo it. That means God's promise cannot be revoked. His will can be revoked. So God wills that none should perish, but all should have everlasting life. Let their people in hell today, and more will go there tomorrow. Because that's not a promise. But a promise is a matter of covenant to his people. And when it comes to promises, brother, sister, you must believe. And it is believable if you understand the nature of God. Hallelujah. So that no matter what you're going through in your situation, your revelation of the efficacy, uh, the dependability of the word of the God who cannot lie gives you much assurance that if he said it, and if it was really him, it is going to happen. No matter what I feel, think, or see myself going through in my situation, I will believe my revelation. Because my revelator and what he reveals is certain. It's going to happen. Your God is dependable. His words are integral with his thinking and integral with his word, which are integral with his promises. He is one in what he says, what he does, what he will do, and how he behaves towards you. But the problem, Dr. Austin, is that he is the same God who has strings on everything in creation. And he can pull on them at any time to create circumstance in your life or allow your enemy to pull on them to create hefty, hellish situation in your circumstances. Because he likes it when everybody that looks at you, the apple of his eye, sees that you have trouble that, that makes God look like a liar. Seeing that you have a situation that makes you feel, this thing God said to me, mm, I don't think it can happen anymore. And to make you feel even stronger, he allows your doubts to increase because he's testing your faith and takes it from worst to worstest. Then from worstest to Worcestershire. That's worstest. And Satan gloats in it and so do your enemies. Who heard you say, God is going to bless me, I will laugh. 
Why does he do this? Because you move in the possible. God leaves you to move in the realm of the possible. But things you cannot reach, no matter how much you and your friends, connections, network, net worth, try. That is what we call impossible. God says, you move in the possible. I gave you ingenuity, the mind, the ability, talents, and gifts to move in the possible. But as it concerns the impossible, that is my realm. The earth have I made for the children of men. The heavens belong to me, says God. I move in the impossible. So when I want to reveal myself to you, I typically do not do it in the realm of the possible. To reveal myself, I have to allow your haters and your enemy, the devil, create with my permission situational problems that are now so impossible for you to believe that your life can be better or that I can do something that now looks impossible. Simply put, if I promise Sarah you have a child at 39, it's still possible. 42, it's still possible. 45, 50, it's marginally possible. But when I get you to 60, 70, forget it. 80, impossible. 90, extremely impossible. And God likes it like that because it is these kind of situations that allow the revelation of God to your life and to those who look upon your life with scourging and mocking and laughter. And that's why as a believer, you must endure. In fact, you must enjoy the trying of your faith. That's why James said to us, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Because your faith must be proven, but for God to give you revelation, you've got to have a problem that looks unfixable even to God and how people see him. Are you with me? Glory to God. So, God always knew exactly who he was going to recruit for his agenda. So it begs the question, was it Abraham who believed God? Or was it God who recruited Abraham? Was it Abraham who said, God, I want to follow you and I want to serve you? Or was it God who said, you will follow me? I put it to you that Abraham was inspired by the initiative of God to recruit him in all the responses that he gave, which was faith responding to what God said. Ephesians 1 verse 11. In whom we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who does what? Works all things. That's not some things or most things. All things according to the counsel of his own will. So you do nothing of your own accord. It's either because you walk according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, or according to God's counsel. And even when you walk according to the plan of the enemy, God is still in charge. Glory to God. You look at Abraham and Sarah. They're stricken in years. It's impossible for them to have children. But with God, what is impossible with man becomes possible. And she asks for a child. God recruits her for a nation mother. So you were created for his purpose. And your situation is normally the ground upon which God reveals that purpose 
and brings to pass that promise. And so his recruitment plan is such that everything in your life is a setup to recruit you for his own agenda while you are soliciting God to meet your needs, but it is really God recruiting you uh, for his plan in your life. It was all a setup, including the trial you're going through right now. So we as humans move in the possible while God moves in the impossible. The Red Sea. Pharaoh is behind. He's personally supervising this assault on Israel. He's in the cavalry. 600 horsemen and chariots. Israel, unfortunately, having come out by the mighty hand of God, they've come to another problem from situation to situation to situation 10 times. Now they're out and they face an impassable, massive body of water. There's no way out. Mountains to the right that are impassable, insurmountable. Mountains to the left, a body of water that you cannot get through. No bridge, no canoe, no speedboat. And behind, fast gaining on you with mobilized cavalry, mechanized if you like, animated. And you can hear the horse hooves, you can see the dust, and it's louder and louder and getting louder. And so everybody in Israel, three million of them know that death is imminent. There's no way out. If we climb the mountain, they'll get us. If we try to run into the water, we will drown. If we stay here, they will kill us. Moses, what is wrong with you? Why, were there not enough graves in Israel for you to bring us into this desert to drown or die here? Moses was perplexed. They were speaking of stoning him, throwing the law at him. So God says, Moses, what's your problem? Stand still. It's a setup. This situation is for revelation of the God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. I cannot reveal myself to you as the way maker unless I present you a situation where there's no way out. Situation is the premise for revelation. Hallelujah. Moses himself cannot see the way out. The children of Israel cannot see the way out. The children of, of, of Pharaoh, they see how they're going to bring these kids back and capture them, put them back in slavery. And Moses should have known that the answer 10 times already was in his hand by the supernatural power of God. <laughs> Told him, stretch forth your hand. There was something in his hand. So he was not just stretching forth his hand. There's always something in your hand. Whether you can see it or not, there's always something in your hand. God didn't say stretch forth your rod. He said stretch forth your hand. And he stretched his hand and he saw the miraculous happen. The Red Sea opened for at least the whole of this street opened like that. And then for the entire passage perpendicular to the opening. Not just that, he didn't want them sticking in the ground. So he sucked up all the moisture from the seabed and gave them wide passage to go across to the other side. Why? Because of the blood they put on the doorpost and the lintel, the sign of the covenant, the sign of the agreement that ratified officially the promise of a God who cannot lie. So right there in the impossible situation, he made what seems impossible, possible. Because he does not move in the possible. You will not see God in the beauty and the splendor of your life. It is in the trouble of life. Friends, the revelation of God in the midst of your heftiest, hellish situation 
is the very reason why you must never quit. And Satan is allowed to turn up the heat on you the more and the more because he knows your human frame that if he keeps turning up the fire, you are possibly likely to quit. God wants the enemy to find out that the power of divine revelation constantly coming to your ears and your heart is strong enough to give you faith to say, I'm going to hang on in there. I won't quit. Though there be no fruit on the vine, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And you find a way to hold on. That's why God keeps feeding you revelation. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, man lives by faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the proceeding word. Hallelujah. So when you're in a situation, that is not the time to cry. It's the time to run your ears to the spoken, living, rima word of God. Also run to the Logos because the Logos will show you God's character. The rima will show you God's intended, imminent purpose. I hope you get it. I want you to shout at five people because I know you can't reach them with a hug and tell them, don't quit! Look at somebody you really like and tell them, don't quit. God is still going to make you laugh. Uh, this threat on your life, this threat on your child, this threat on your business, this threat on your finances, it's not designed to destroy you in God's design and he owns all the architecture of your future. He has allowed this trouble to come because he's going to use it to reveal himself to you as your helper, your deliverer, your healer, your friend that sticks closer than a brother, your way maker, your water walker, your miracle worker, your heavy burden bearer. He's going to use it to reveal himself to you as a resurrection and the life. The one who crowns you with many glories and exchanges your crosses for crowns, exchanges your death for life, exchanges your problems for his power, your pain for divine precedent. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but my word to you this morning is do not quit. God is still going to make you laugh. You are going to laugh your way through the rest of your life. God is about to bless you like you've never been blessed before because the degree of severity of your situation determines the degree of sincerity of your revelation and the power of your revelations determines the quality of your life. If you have the right attitude and choose to be a believer God, the God of your salvation God, the God of your deliverance, God, the God of your help, he's about to give you a turnaround. I don't know who I'm preaching to but you'll know that you are the one to whom the message is sent because you're going through hell and the fire has been heated seven times hotter. There seems to be no way out. There's no gap in the trouble and it feels like this one is going to take you down. But the problem is, in spite of all that's going on, God has a promise that's constantly sounding in your ears. Your child is speaking it to you. Your prophet is saying it to you. The Bible is open for for you. The Spirit's witness inside of you keeps telling you this is not going to take you down. Which one are you going to believe? Are you going to walk by sight and believe your situation? Or are you going to walk by revelation and have faith to say
say no to the devil. This weapon will not prosper. I'm going to my next level. And baby, that next level, it hasn't been seen anywhere in your lineage, anywhere in your ancestry, anywhere in your clan, your first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh cousins. None of them have seen that kind of blessing before. In fact, some of you, your nation has never seen anybody rise the way God is going to make you rise. And that situation has become a necessity because God cannot reveal himself as your lifter until you have that kind of situation. Nobody in Bethany had been raised from the dead. Nobody in Bethany had gone to the grave for four days and gone to the bosom of Abraham to see eternity beyond except Lazarus. And yet, God was not done with him here on earth. It took a revelation that required a situation. Be careful that you don't snuff or scoff at your situation. Your situation is camouflaged opportunity for a divine intervention in your life. God's pattern is often to reveal himself in the midst of the impossible. He is always distinctly different from your situation. And here he arrives into your situation and announces your promise, Abraham. And the promise's proposition is preposterous. It almost sounds like God is mocking you when he makes you the promise. Because it is preposterous. A, a man who has no life but the ICU respirator and life sustenance machine, and you tell him he's going to live. That is preposterous. Person who doesn't have the qualifications, yet you're giving him a job. Because the qualifications God needs are not the ones that men get as credentials from a university. That would be preposterous. That you would ask us to deliver this 20 years ago, preposterous. Or to do the experience on the back of teenagers and young adults, Preposterous. Or to salvage a nation when you are a 16-year-old boy. Preposterous. It's a ridiculous proposition. God moves you into situation so that when he makes his proposition, it sounds ridiculous to you. And in order for you to laugh, your blessing must be ridiculous. Because it's only a ridiculous blessing that makes you laugh eternally, sustainably. And hear me, those of you who have been in a trial for a long time and you've endured deferral, delay, and you think it is a denial by God, it is the nature of the duration that determines the equivalent duration of your laughter for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. It's not bad to have trouble till 40 or 50, and then all of a sudden, in place of trouble, he gives you sustained triumph. He makes you laugh, and you become like those who dream. Hallelujah. So, if he made the promise in the high and great moments of your life, it would sound possible, but no. He makes the propositions when your situation is most impossible and he promises you the impossible. It seems laughable. But God announces his plan and 
calls those things that are not as though they are. And you're wondering, what do you mean? You're still calling me Abraham. After 24 years of being childless. By the way, Abraham means father of many nations. And, and God, you, you made it worse because before my name was father. Now you change my name to father of many nations with no child. It is here that the challenge arises. Do I walk by sight? Do I walk by situation? Or do I walk by revelation? Do I walk by faith? If you walk by sight, you are going to quit. Because your situation that you have focused on will only tell you to quit. That it's not worth it. But if you walk by revelation, there now is a debate that goes on in your head. Should I quit or should I believe? Should I quit or should I keep moving with God? Should I quit or should I keep trusting God? And then eventually if you keep hearing from God, and remember, the promise is his own responsibility. So it is his prerogative to keep talking to you, keep speaking to you. It's him who will run to you and make sure that you hear him. Have you ever been somewhere minding your own business? You've even forgotten about God. And God woke you up in the morning with anxiety attack. Or woke you up with glory in your room that morning. And started to speak to you. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be without arms when situation takes things to the next level. It is his job to make you a believer. So what happens then is because of the protracted nature of your trouble and you keep looking at the situation, you are likely to resign yourself to fate and say like Sarah, I'm happy to remain childless. I wanted the child, you said it, I got excited about it, where I did things with my husband, no child. At 11, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, look, you've been looking at this house girl, just take her. As long as she gives birth to the baby on my lap, she, the baby will be mine. The, the woman got pregnant and she started to despise the wife. That I have what you don't have, what makes you better than me? And this thing worried Sarah. So on top of her, her near menopause, she now has stress that makes the menopause come faster. You see, devil? He doesn't, doesn't attack you at a good time. He turns on the attack to the highest at an opportune time. More time passes, and Abraham keeps mistreating the woman, saying she's my sister, she's not my wife. Pipping her to other kings. Which kind of man is that? Obviously, he was not ready for the promise. His character was not ready for him to be a nation builder and the father of nations. God had to take him through more trouble. You know, sustained trouble will teach you how to behave yourself. Even Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. How much more you that have problem? Are you getting it? And she moves to the place where now she agrees with her situation that it is impossible for me to have a child. In other words, God, you've been talking to my husband personally. I won't say it out loud, but you are a liar. That's where Sarah got to. And God has now got to the appointed time less a year. And he calls a couple of his buddies, I think they were angels, 
And he goes and meets them, and he doesn't go to Abraham's house. That's Abraham there. He walks like as he passes Abraham, but walks like as if he's going somewhere else. God's typical nature. Because he wants you to want him. Because what he wants to do in your life requires your desire. He will not give you something beyond your will. You must want it. So he walked to the gate and Abraham could feel some atmosphere that wasn't normal to the terrain. He had felt it many times before whenever God visited him. He got up from where he was sitting at the door of his tent, ran to him and said, please come into my house. There's something different about you. You are different from my situation. And he prepared a sumptuous meal for them. They sat, they ate. What are you giving God to eat? How are you holding God in your territory? Because what God needs to do in your life is have time with you to talk some sense into your spirit. Hallelujah. When God had finished eating, and you know, God was one of the three men. If you read the text, you'll see that there. And he said, where is Sarah, your wife? She said, she's in the tent behind us. And he said, concerning this thing that I promised you a while ago, by this time next year, Sarah will bear you a son. Sarah had it. She has many strikes. She's stricken with age. And she didn't say a word out loud. She was well trained. She laughed within herself. I said, me being old, my Lord being old also, are we going to have pleasure? And she laughed. Ha, 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 ha. In her mind, she didn't say it out. In other words, her thinking was stinking. In other words, you this man, I don't know who you are, you caused problem in my life. If I didn't have high expectations, I would not have the disappointment I have now. I could have managed being a barren woman, but because you've been saying it every day, calling me mother of nations, calling my husband father of nations for years, 25 years now. She had resigned herself, so it was now a joke. It was no longer a serious matter. It was now a joke. That God picked up on her thinking. And that's what he wants to fix in this room today. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. If your life is going to change to a life of laughter, it's going to take a renewal of your mind. You hear what I'm saying? You cannot count yourself out of God's promises by your wrong thinking. You've got to straighten out your thinking till it properly aligns with how God thinks. This is going to be the great challenge of your transformation. Because if transformation is going to happen in your finance, your accommodation, your transportation, your matrimonial possibilities, your relationships, and every aspect of your life, it will start in your thinking. If you get it in your mind, you will get it in your life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you get it? And this is what God wanted to deal with. So he said, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah said, I didn't laugh. God said, you did laugh. If God said it, it settles it. And Sarah accepted that I am not going to live with impossibility thinking any longer. The things that are impossible with me, 
by my reckoning. If God says it, I choose to believe it. Yeah? Now, this is what I want to talk to you about, and I'm running to a hurry. I believe conception took place within three months of that visitation. It could have taken place on that day. Conception is as important as delivering the baby. Because without conception, there can be no baby. To conceive means that in the hearing word of the moment, in the moment of the pleasure of God's intercourse or, or insemination of his seed word in you, you must accept that it has been conceived. God is recruiting you for a purpose. And the need you feel is, is the tip of the iceberg. Into that crucible of your need, God is going to recruit you for a higher purpose. Let me say this to you, friends. God's power, God's greatness is never invested in you. You're only important because you carry divine purpose. It's invested in the purpose. So if you do not connect properly with the purpose, you will not enjoy the divine investment. And that's why he pushes you into situation so that you now have a need. And you come to him crying to meet that need. And, and you think you're recruiting God for your little baby. Whereas God is recruiting you for his mighty nation. That is hidden in the baby you are about to birth. Do you get it? I hope to God that you do. Many people who don't understand this, they feed wrongly. And as a result, they miscarry. So they cannot withstand for themselves, let alone for themselves and the child. That's why if you study your life, God has been building you for the future from the beginning. That's why other people don't go through what you go through because they're not being built for anything. But you and your type, you are being built deliberately for something enormous. Isaiah tells Israel as a people, you're going to go into captivity before they go into captivity. But you are also going to come out of captivity. So that when they go into captivity, they can laugh. Knowing that this trouble is not going to last always. That this trial that you're going through now, as hot and as hairy as it is, it has an expiry date. And you must not let the devil see you cry. Make sure he sees you laugh. You don't have to wait till I turn your captivity for you to fill your mouth with laughter. Start laughing now. It'll shorten the time for the sake of the elect. Can I get a witness from somebody? So that Mr. Devil, you put me in this hell, but I'm going to laugh. You say, why are you going to laugh? Because I know that sooner or later, weeping will endure for the night, the season of my darkness. But laughter is coming in my new dawn. I'm going to laugh because God will take me out of this trouble and he will turn my captivity till I become like them who laugh. And he'll put a new song in my heart I don't know who I'm preaching to but I want you to get ready because this thing is not a matter of law because if it was of law you would have to work for it and if you work for it your wages for your work are what will pay 
pay for the blessing, the ridiculous favor, the ridiculous outcome of goodness and glory. But this is not of works because it is of promise. And because it is a promise, it has to be by grace. What is grace? One writer said, grace, G for God. R for riches, uh, A for at, C for Christ, uh, E for expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, you have no expenditure in the matter. God says, I'm doing this all by myself. I'll bring the promise. I'll set up its fulfillment. I'll work on your faith. You won't have to manufacture faith. I will give you faith. I will sustain your faith. I will also give you patience by giving you greater faith in the ongoing of your trial. So that, friend, I will prove to your enemy that you're not just a wanter, you're a believer. That against all the odds, you believed in me and you believed my word. Even when your situation said otherwise, it was my job to keep you in faith. So that even when you couldn't keep the faith, I made it so that you could keep the faith. Uh, can I help somebody this morning uh, so that friend when I bless you uh, I will only bless you when your situation is ripe enough uh, and you are dead enough uh, and you are in unbelief enough uh, for you to recognize uh, that it was not of you or your works uh, uh, so that you have no right to boast uh, but it was by faith or grace through faith uh, that I made it happen for you and so now Abraham has gotten to 11 years and his wife says I'm going to make this happen and she brings her house girl and they birth the trouble of the world for the next two millennia his name is Ishmael he continues to mistreat her because he's not yet ready uh, he sells her off as a woman in another man's harem and eventually when he is so dead at a hundred years or 99 years it is clear to him and everybody that this was not Abraham because Abraham could have children uh, but Sarah could have no children but even Abraham had to get to the place where he was no longer productive can I get a witness from somebody and when he gets to that place and it has been established by some subsequent years it is then that God comes visiting he knows that it is over as far as mankind is concerned but when God says it is not over friend it's not over and God showed up and there was a visitation and with the visitation uh, there was not just a promise uh, there was now a promise for the first time uh, that had a set time Ooh, I feel God most people by now would have quit one person in the family had not quit that's why he ran to the gate to call on God another person in the family had quit but God said I need agreement I need the one man who believes I'm going to strengthen his faith and the woman who does not believe I'm going to make of her a believer so that I have two in the house so that any two that agree and are touched by what I prophesy to them I will do it for them from heaven oh I feel the power of God I don't know who I'm preaching to you already quit but your pastor didn't quit
quit. You already quit, but the word of God didn't quit. You already quit, but somebody in your house said, I still believe God. God needs at least two of you. Is he going to get you today? God who said it, he'll make it good. God who spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. The hell you're going through, it will pass. But what my word says, it's really going to happen. And he said to Sarah, is anything too hard for God? It had a question. In other words, Sarah, I want you to think. Look at all the impossible things I've done for you in your past. Will this childbearing issue be one of these things or will it not be? Is it too hard? Is that house you're building too hard for God? Is that career you're planning, is it too hard for God? Is that husband that needs fixing, is it too difficult for God? Is that money that you need to have another four zeros on to make your dream possible, is it too hard for God? Is that problem that's with your child, is it too difficult for God? Is that problem with your wife too difficult for God? Is that challenge from your persecutors too much for God to deal with? That hatred on your business and your company amidst your associates, is it too much for God to deal with? That sickness in your body, it might be beyond your doctors, your physicians, but is it too hard for God? You see, God navigated this whole thing and put you in a ridiculous place with an antithetical problem to the thesis of his promise so that when he makes the proposition to you, the concept seems completely preposterous and stupendously ridiculous. But it is a ridiculous blessing that makes you laugh. Oh my God, I feel it. Somebody here, your laughter begins tomorrow morning. Somebody under the sound of my voice, by Friday you're going to hear a word that comes to you over the telephone or through your email that's going to change your life forever. Somebody else, you're going to conceive something that will irremovably graft itself to your womb, your womb of faith. And your life from here forward is going to be different. Who am I preaching to this Sunday morning? I told you a few Sundays ago that the power of a promise, especially when it comes on the back of an agreement and it's now the announcement of a set time, it puts a blocker between who you were, barren, and who you are about to be mother of many. Oh God, I feel something. I want to tell somebody, your last days as who you used to be are now over. I declare to you, your days of unfruitfulness are over. Your days of barrenness are over. Your days of being laughed at by haters are over. You are now the productive one. You are now the enterprise. You are now the enterprising. Who am I preaching to? Your whole world is about to change. It has happened to me many times. It's called rebirth because even that which is born gets old. So it has to be reborn and reborn. Yes, the first rebirth is salvation, but in salvation, God births new levels, new dimensions, and new spectrums of blessing in your life. Your world is about to change. Come here, Abraham. I'm standing behind Abraham, but I have eyes all around my head so I can see in all directions. My name is God. Jimmy, come here. This is 
Abraham's past. And Abraham's past is trying to get to Abraham to pull him back into the past. Keep walking forward slowly. Come on, Jimmy. Try to get him. Pow. Come on. Pow. Come on. Come on. Keep going where you're going. Pow. Yeah, I want you to go down. <laughs> guess what happens? Guess what God does? God puts, you see it in the Bible, he put his foot where? At the cross on Satan's head. Why? So that Satan would not be able to jump out of the past through Adam and get to Abraham. So that Abraham could be free to go into his promise. Satan would not stop him. The only thing that would now stop Abraham is Abraham's unbelief. So what do I do? Having put Satan down at the cross, made open spectacle of him, I keep talking to Abraham whilst he's walking. So that when things try to stop him, my revelation of myself to him and of his promise keeps him going. For he knows he can get through every fire, every den of lions, every Red Sea and every trouble that comes to him. And ultimately, he comes through the Red Sea. Go to my chair and sit down in my chair far above principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness who militate in your circumstances and spirits of wickedness. And he picks up Satan. He says, you sit down here. And he ties him with chains that are about 10 meters long. And he always keeps you at 11 meters. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. By about now, there should be laughter welling up in your spirit. And if that's you I'm talking to, I want you to tell three people, text five, and tell them, I'm going to laugh again. <laughs> tell another person, I'm going to laugh my way all the way to the bank.